Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hello, and welcome to this special Autosport podcast brought to you by F1 Racing Magazine, where we preview the new Formula One season in the company of some very special guests. I'm currently standing outside a, an iconic building on the Fulham Road in West London. It's called Bibendum. It's the Conrad restaurant, but a hundred years ago, this was the site for the UK headquarters of the Michelin Tire Company. Today our focus is 2017 and joining myself, James Roberts, to talk about the new season are Pat Simmons, the former Williams Technical Chief, Martin Brundle, a man who raced in over 150 Grand Prix and who is now Sky Sports F1's analyst and commentator, and our columnist Peter Windsor. We're recording this programme in late January and an abridged version of this roundtable discussion appears in our all-new season preview issue of F1 Racing which is on sale in the UK on the 16th of March so please please don't forget to buy your copy now. Right I'm going to head inside speak to Pat, Martin and Peter and the first question will be about the new regs and what we think is going to happen as we look ahead to Australia and the new season. The new regs are obvious point to start Pat you were heavily involved in uh, in these regs and the creation of them. Tell us a little bit about what we can expect to see this season. Well, I think that the, the, 
the starting point was this um, notion that they wanted cars to go five seconds a, a lap quicker. Um, where that idea came from and why it, it became the sort of uh, thing we were chasing is a little bit debatable. But nevertheless, as a, a group of technical people, we were asked to devise a set of rules that would allow the cars to go approximately five seconds quicker. Now, initially, I think there was a lot of suggestion that the cars would be very retro. You know, yes, they wanted wider cars, they wanted wider tyres. And, and I was very concerned that we were just going back to a, you know, something from 20 years ago. But luckily, I, I, I think that a little bit of styling came into things. And I think we've got uh, Red Bull to thank for a lot of that. They did uh, a great job on this sort of concept that the, the, the idea was that the car should look fast even when it's standing still. And, and certainly in plan form, it has a little bit of a delta shape, etc., which you know, I, I, I think it's an attractive car. Of course, the aerodynamicists have got hold of it and made damn sure it's not as attractive as it could be. Um, but we, we're quite used to that these days. So what do we got? Well, um, I, I think everyone knows the sort of mechanics of the, the regulations that the cars have gone back out to two metres in width, uh, which they haven't been for a long while. Bodywork has got wider, the diffuser has got bigger, the front wings got wider along with the, the bodywork. So really quite a substantially looking, different looking car. I suppose one question is uh, probably a silly question, but why didn't the group sit around and say, why don't we just get Pirelli to build much faster tyres in that case? Initially, when we were looking at why are the cars slower, of course, yes, the tyres do have less grip than they used to have, but also the cars are much, much heavier. You know, we've put on 100 kilograms on these cars since uh, we've gone hybrid and added various other things. And uh, as you know, that absolutely kills performance, particularly in the quicker corners. Yes, we could have just added some grip, but is that necessarily the right thing to do? Um, you know, people are very quick to say, well, we don't want to add aerodynamics, and that's something I possibly agree with. But what I don't agree with is, is this notion that if you take aerodynamics away and add mechanical grip, you're going to get better racing. I don't think there's any evidence to support that whatsoever. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm the eternal optimist uh, on these things, and let's give it a chance before we, we write anything off. In theory, I, it seems like we've gone the wrong way. We're, we're giving it more grip, so the car will the car will stick to the road. And for me, a car that's sliding looks faster. The early hybrid uh, runs in Melbourne, when they were going through T11 and 12, had me stepping back from the wall because the cars and the drivability was poor. Um, so you've got an 11% wider car trying to overtake an 11% wider car on some circuits. Uh, maybe it won't make any difference, but it certainly isn't going to help. Um, braking distance is shorter. Drivers, I think, will make less errors because the cars, unless they get tired, because the cars are going to stick to the road. And fundamentally, going faster is not absolutely necessary. I can get super excited watching a Caterham battle on, on TV or an old Formula Ford race or something like that. And, you know, Valentino Rossi goes around Silverstone and the Catalonia, when they change the circuit, they said the Catalonia circuit, identical racetrack to Lewis Hamilton, a half a minute a lap slower, a, a bit under actually, but, and that looks in, incredibly impressive. So I don't think it's all about speed. I think it's about cars being side by side, nose to tail, looking exciting. Having said all of that, 
I believe if the drivers drive them and it really challenges them and it frightens them a little bit, I don't like the sound of this, you know, some corners will now become straight. And I, I completely un- and get that and understand it. And I felt that even driving the blown diffuser cars um, that just didn't appear to want to move. Um, if the drivers get out and are enthusiastic and feel challenged, and I completely agree with Pat, a car should look beautiful, should look fast standing still. A Formula 1 car should be the scariest best fastest ever thing that you look on in amazement that a human being can can drive them and control them and, and keep them keep them on the road um and if the drivers get out and are excited that's that's going to uh, translate via the fans and the media to you know wow this is really exciting because at the moment the drivers get out and say look all it is, is if I spin the wheels three times, the tyres are gone, I'm taking it easy, I'm saving this, I'm saving that. Uh, and the radio calls back that up, and it's not, and we all just switch off at that point. So, and I'm, we're hearing, for what it's worth, that the tyres are not degrading like they used to. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, Martin, because um, PD said, why didn't we just give the tyres more grip? But it's not about grip. It, in my mind, this sort of premise of, let's go five seconds lap, quicker has no basis in better entertainment at all so where did it come from though i think it came from bernie uh in fact i I know it came from bernie it came through the strategy group um uh i think it it, but it originated from bernie he he felt i think he felt affronted initially that a 17 year old could get in a formula one car and drive it now i actually think the opposite i think it's great that a 17 year old can get in a car and drive it and i I think you know if we want to attract a younger audience we need younger drivers in there so uh, i i think he felt if they if the cars were five seconds a lap quicker they'd be that much more difficult to drive and a young driver wouldn't be able to do it um you know facts don't really come into these sort of suppositions that are are made they the rumours become facts, really, don't they? But the interesting thing is that I, I think one of the things that has um, spoiled the racing in, in recent years is this necessity to look after the tyres and the fact that the tyres are very unforgiving in a, in a thermal sense. Now, last year, uh, a number of people got uh, involved with writing a, a specification. That's perhaps a slightly overstating it, but, but writing a, a, a list of desires for, for Pirelli. Now, it's something I was involved in along with, with others. And amongst the things we, we did was we specified what we thought the degradation should be, what the steps should be between each compound. Um, but above all, that the tyres should be less thermally sensitive. In other words, if you do abuse them, if you do overheat them, of course you're going to lose performance. That's, that's been the case with, with viscoelastic materials since day one. I mean, we're sitting in the Michelin building from many years ago, and I'm sure that when they were selling tyres in this building, they, they behaved in exactly the same way. But not to the extreme that we've seen in the, in the Formula One tyres of, of recent years. Now, three teams, uh, Red Bull, Ferrari and, and Mercedes, uh, built mule cars to, to try and simulate the performance of the 2017 cars and they've been out testing these tyres. All the teams have had access to that data. Um, 
and in fact uh, have, have sent observers to, to try and see what's going on. Now, it, you, you can't see all the nuances, but I think we can see that there, there's evidence that certainly degradation is lower than it has been, and there's been some evidence, although I think only the drivers who've driven the tyres could say for sure, but there's been some evidence that they, the tyres have been a little bit more forgiving in a, in a thermal sense. Uh, I'm really excited to hear that. Um, my concern, though, Peter, is if I think back to the commentary box for the last three seasons, most of what we've had to talk about has been Hamilton versus Rosberg, which we've no longer got, although I think something, something else could well, uh, and we'll talk about that later, um, replace that. And also the high deg tyres, you know, how far can they get? Will they be in on lap six, on lap eight, or whatever? If you, if you put a set of Bridgestones on at the moment and could do the whole race... I'm concerned about what we would talk about unless the racing is absolutely brilliant. And for me, the litmus test, the telling point of this whole exercise and, dare I say, gamble of, of 2017 cars is will they be able to follow each other? Because if they are, if we really see fast cars, and I hate it when we start a race and we're eight, nine seconds slower than qualifying, as Mark Webber would say, a wet pace sort of pace we used to do in the rain. I know there's fuel load involved in that, but there's a huge amount of tyre caring going on in there as well. If they can drive hard, flat out, and follow each other, we are going to see some unbelievable overtakes, some exciting racing, some breathless, red-faced racing drivers. You can imagine that in Singapore. I heard something nearer 7 to 10 seconds a lap faster or something around Singapore. So um, if they can't follow each other... Well, I, was just going to I say, think it, nothing's going to happen. The other problem is they may be able to follow one another, but not overtake. Because as you said earlier, the cars are wider, so there's less road for them to use. Stopping distances are shorter. Cornering speeds are higher. In reality. But, but Pat, just to go back to you, the, the premise of the new regulations, it seems as if this thing about let's have more overtaking was kind of dumbed down this time around. It was a big deal in the last shake-up. But this one, it's been more let's make the cars quicker and how much talk has there been about let's have more overtaking? Because it would, it would seem they're going backwards in terms of making it easier to overtake. The, the starting point for these regulations had no mention of overtaking, had no mention of closeness of racing, had no mention of anything like that. It just I've got started a handkerchief. with this. I'd like to have a little cry <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Which is a mistake, really, that. Isn't it, it? Is. it just started with this one statement. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a statement like that people should challenge, not just follow blindly, but I'm afraid it has been followed blindly, you know, and, and it's important that uh, these things are thought through a lot more carefully than they have been in the past. I mean, I, I hope in the future that is going to be the case, but uh, I, I'm afraid that the, the mechanism by which the 2017 regulations was arrived at, I think, was flawed at the outset. Can I ask one other question? to the man on the inside. I had a chat to a Mercedes engineer mid-season who should remain nameless because he shouldn't have been talking to me, I don't think. And he said that they were basically very disappointed at Mercedes because Mercedes and Ferrari had put together one basic theme of where they thought they should go in 2017 and Red Bull and McLaren went in another much more in what he described as aero direction. And because they were Mercedes 
all the all the Mercedes proposals were basically rejected because whatever they're doing, let's do the opposite because we don't have any more Mercedes domination. And and he was explaining it to me along those lines that we now have a set of regs that are much more aero driven than Mercedes proposal, which was much more mechanical grip. I don't know if that's right. No, I mean, I what you I say. I don't think that is completely true because Mercedes points it that. Their, their starting point was they didn't want to change the regulations. They, they didn't Which feel is it was, fair enough it, for them, from their point of view. Yeah. And as, as winners, yeah. that's what yeah. you would expect yeah. of them. Yeah. Um, but they did put forward the arguments that they, there was no evidence it was going to improve the racing. So I think Mercedes' point was they didn't want anything changed. Red Bull, on the other hand, uh, wanted as much change as they could possibly put in there, and they wanted to turn it very much into an aerodynamic formula. Um, and you've got to remember that we, we were talking, the, the, the talk of this started at a time when actually Red Bull were not performing uh, as well as they, they had been. It was during a little bit of a lull in their, their performance, one that they, of course, came back from. Um, as with all these things, there was all sorts of uh, backwards and forwards and, and compromise. And uh, we eventually got to a point, I would say, in December 2015, where there was a, a set of regulations that were probably more towards the the Mercedes side of things. Um, there was some uh, improvement in aerodynamic performance. There was a wider car, wider tyres. You know that that was a sort of given from the start, really. But the the diffuser was not um, as large as it has become. And that was, uh, was something that I think people started work on. But then there was a feeling that actually we weren't going to hit the five seconds because the tyres are such a big unknown. I mean, even now they are. Uh, and at that time, of course, very much an unknown, particularly as Pirelli were, were, were very concerned that if we increased the load too much, the only thing they could do to make the tyres robust was to increase, increase the pressure. And you get into a law of diminishing returns, where, where ultimately you know you weren't going to get that mechanical grip or not much improvement in mechanical grip, even with the, the wider tyres. So around January time, McLaren then worked on a, a proposal that was sort of halfway in between, and, and that... Uh, did make the diffuser a little bit larger, not as large as it had been, but that—that uh, that was really what was eventually adopted. Was there an element here of stuff Formula One? As long as we win and Mercedes don't, we'll vote for this. Because uh, I'm concerned that the teams that have a vested interest in stopping Mercedes from winning have just gone with the. I mean, quite clearly, Red Bull would much rather have an aero formula than a engine formula and that that's what's happening but i'm not pointing a finger necessarily at red bull but i i i, I don't think the best interests of formula one were under consideration when this was driven through no, of course they weren't they, of course they weren't they, they as i said the, the premise was probably flawed to start with and thereafter well you know what what do you expect the teams to do it, it, it's it's not it's the process that's wrong. It's not what it's, the outcome is. The, the really, outcome's inevitable. And this one's really wrong like because that. we often say what we need is just a dictator. Don't let the teams decide what's going to happen for exactly the reason you've just described. But the reality is this was the dictator saying this is what we want and it's a kind of really messed yeah, up a, thing. a little bit, but it's still then the teams are involved. And, you know, I, 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 I use the football analogy. If you, if you said, well, how wide should a, a goal be in football? 
I ask the teams, if they've got a great goalkeeper and they've got a really good defence, they say, make it as wide as you can. And if you've got a, a, a team that have a really poor defence, they're going to want a narrow goal. I've, uh, I've, it shouldn't be up to the team. I've often no. thought, and I've had this conversation with Pat and with Paddy and with many people, very clever people, I always think the answer's right under our nose, and it's called GP2. They turn up, you know, three wide and nose to tail. Sometimes one of them's backwards in the trio, but simple front wing, Venturi underneath, you know, that relationship between... I know I'm oversimplifying this. I know nothing uh, compared, you know, the laws of aerodynamics and all that sort of thing. But having driven quite a lot of these cars over the decades, the ones that have Venturi stick to the track like a sports car they stick to the track they turn in and you can follow other cars because the downforce is generated by the relationship between the car and the racetrack not just the free air going over the top of it and still i'm seeing a picture here of a hugely complex and massive front wing that is only going to fail in the dirty and hot air stream of the car in front i just I just don't understand why we haven't gone at Venturi and, sim- and Simple Front Wing to save well, a huge uh, amount of cost. I think the trouble is, I, I respect your experience uh, and I respect that you've driven cars like that, but, but the physical evidence isn't really there. Now, it should be. Have we tried it? Yeah, we have. Um, you know, the, the very, although I was part of the overtaking working group all those years ago, and I think it was a very flawed process. Um, that was looked at and the, the evidence wasn't there. Now, the trouble is it, it, it wasn't looked at in anywhere near enough detail. And I think that once again, the teams are involved. And what we need to do is we need to take this out of the responsibility of the team. So if we're going to have a new organization in Formula One, then that organization, in order to generate income, which is what its purpose is, it has to invest. And I think it should invest in doing some of this fundamental research in a, in a, in a way that's you know, not a, allied to any of the teams. It, it, it's, it's totally independent. But I think, coming to your GP2 thing, I think that there, there are some interesting things there because the GP2 cars, yeah, they do have good races, there's no doubt about it. Now, one of the things there I think is incentive. You know, the GP2 drivers, they want to, to win and they want to... Last to, chance saloon for yeah, them, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Uh, and I think, you know, in... In Formula One, it's all become a bit sort of, oh, should I take a risk? No, actually, I'm going to grab these couple of points that I'm in a position to, to take right now. Um, and, of course, you know, you've got the reverse grids, like them or not. In, in GP2, they, they certainly work. Question I've got about the new regs now. So will we see the competitive order shaken up? Will we see Red Bull now challenging Mercedes? Peter, what do you think? Do you think this is now Red Bull's chance? Do you think we'll see Dan versus Max fighting for the World Championship this year? I think we will. I think Red Bull will be very competitive this year, but not because of the new regulations. I think because the Renault engine will be not far away from the Mercedes now. They've had it long enough. We now have no more tokens. If they wanted to do some sort of dramatic upgrade, they could do it now without a problem. They probably don't need to because the engine was pretty good last year. So I think on that, on that basis of the, of the graph going up, power-wise, which was always the problem with Red Bull, I think we're going to see Red Bull very, very competitive. I'd be surprised if between them, Daniel and Max don't win at least five races, which means by definition it's going to be a pretty close championship. If you then factor in maybe Ferrari winning a race or two. So yeah, I do think it will, not necessarily because of the regulations, although maybe the regulations have taken some of the scope away from Mercedes, 
which means that a Red Bull will then be able to fill some of that void. And I hope that happens because I think it'll be brilliant if it does. I think the Red Bull Mercedes fight will be fabulous. Martin, you know Christian well. How will he handle Max and Dan at Red Bull? I think he'll handle them fine. I think they they have a different contractual position than um, than, say, when you're parachuting in established champions into the same team. They've come up through the system and I think they know if they don't do as they're told they'll be replaced and that's how they got the seat in the first place and um, some you know some of them so I think it will get very aggressive I think Max will just keep learning moving forward I think Daniel will have his hands full with a ever with an ever improving Max Verstappen I think he's got all the tools to cope with it but he'll have to produce his best his best drives and I, th- I think the youngster will just dazzle next year I mean we don't know if somebody will do a brawn and uh, find a, some kind of magic solution um, to get through there probably not it'll scatter the pack the new regulations <coughs> um, because the haves and the have nots you know those with the resource it, it, it always does I think you'll see pole to last on the grid you know probably greater than we've seen of late um, I think it will mix the pack up uh, a little bit and I think what's going to be absolutely fascinating to follow is the rate of development it strikes me that this will be the toughest challenge ever for a Formula One team. And Pat may, may say, talking nonsense because of 1990, something or other, but it seems to me the big teams have got the numbers, got the resource, have the ability to bring an update pretty much every race. And I think that we could see an evolving championship through the year. Yeah, all of the above, I think. <laughs> I think that it, for sure it, it, it has every chance of mixing up the order. Uh, and personally... I think the Red Bull are going to be the team at the front. Um, partly, as you said, Peter, because the, the engine was already getting pretty good last year, and uh, I think that they will improve further. mustn't forget that Mercedes have lost a little bit of continuity. Continuity is remarkably important. You know, they, they've, they've not only lost Nico, but they've lost Paddy as well. And no one's irreplaceable in this game, but you know, that, that continuity does count for a lot. New rules will spread the field, you know, some will get it right, some will get it wrong. I don't think that there's a loophole like there was in 2009, but we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, I spent a long while studying them to look for that loophole and didn't find it, but maybe someone else has. Uh, and of course that can change the, the complexion completely. Uh, I do agree there will be a real arms race this year. Um, but you've got to remember one thing that is rather different to when we last had new rules is that we do have the restrictions on wind tunnel testing now and on uh, CFD. Uh, and in wind tunnel terms, that's 65 runs per week, you know, whether you're Manor or whether you're Mercedes. Uh, and that does affect your, your ability to, to develop to some extent. Now, the bigger teams will always be able to do more and they'll be able to bring things to the car quicker because, you know, things like these very complicated front wings they have incredible lead times now and they are very very expensive but you know if i want to put my neck on the line i I see red bull as being the 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 ones to beat this year and uh, i think that daniel's got a good chance of getting the championship while max just polishes those little edges that just need that little bit of polish can I ask you about Mercedes? Because we've seen Nico Rosberg has retired, Valtteri Bottas has moved over the winter 
to go up against Lewis Hamilton. You've worked very closely with Valtteri. How do you think he will he will get on at Mercedes and and fare against Lewis? Um, that's a, a really difficult question to answer. I I think Valtteri is a, a very talented driver. It, it's great that he sort of knows the Mercedes power unit because things like that count count for something these days. Knowing how to use you know these quite complex power units well um, that said you know I, I think Lewis is a in a class of his own or let's say a very small class uh, at any rate and uh, I think for Valtteri to go up against him in a team where I, I guess he feels very comfortable now I think is a you know it's a lot to ask and, and you could add to that possibly that Lewis will really love being in a team now where he doesn't have to worry about the other guy at all in his own mind. Of course, he will have to worry about Valtteri. And of course, Valtteri is quite capable of winning races should Lewis have a problem or even just has an off day. But the bottom line is, for every... And Martin, I'm sure you would agree with this. Every very fast racing driver loves the concept of having a guy in the other car that isn't really a problem for them mentally. And he's only had that once in his career. And that was with Heckey at McLaren. And now he's got it kind of at at Mercedes for a while. I think that's uh, underestimating Valtteri. Well, it probably is, but he's had Nico Rosberg, don't forget, for the last three seasons. And I agree with Pat. I don't think, I don't think Valtteri's going to get as near to him as, as Nico did, and indeed ahead of him in the way Nico did. And, you know, there's, there was a little incident, well, it's a little cameo last year when Lewis was completely lost in the Singapore Grand Prix. And was one of his worst weekends if you had I suppose Baku was as well but he he wasn't well prepared he was he'd been up late I don't know if it was transatlantic or whatever it was but he just wasn't into that weekend at all and after that race the Petronas wanted both Mercedes drivers to do a fun run would you believe in Malaysia of course they immediately said no no let Verline do it and then but a day later Lewis rang back and said nah I'll do it Nico's got to get back for his mum's birthday or whatever it was and that was Lewis realising that he needed to up his game. He needed to be in the time zone. He needed to make sure Nico was in the worst possible place in the build-up to the next Grand Prix. And we know what happened in Malaysia. And that was, that was a turning point for Lewis. My point is, is Valtteri going to be able to do that sort of thing for Lewis Hamilton, to, to push him that hard? I doubt it. And that may be a, may be a slight failing in the, in the lineup. But for me, I agree with Pat. I think Lewis will be in a class of his own. Well, I think he's hard to beat whoever you put up against him but uh, as I always say to my son never underestimate anybody in motor racing because they just come and surprise you and I think Valtteri's got the speed and the calm head as always being a driver is like being in a spotlight and you just you just move into a stronger spotlight I remember when I moved up to Benetton I found because I'd been in a team or teams that you know maybe you would score points and on a really lucky day you'd score a podium now you're shutting your front door, points are given, podiums are expected, and now we're looking for victories and the level of pressure. And Valtteri, you know, I think when you're, you know, if you're not in the front-running teams, as Valtteri hasn't been certainly in the last year, or so, you can have a couple of weekends off the pace and get away with it. Nobody really notices. When you're in that championship-winning position, every lap, isn't it, every qualifying, you can't have an off day. And that's the difference between the, the great and the merely extremely good is... Hamilton really has an off day, Alonso, and those sort of people. And so I think if he, and I think a spotlight, if you're a, you know, in a 
if you're a flower in a spotlight, you can either grow and use the energy or it's going to wilt you. And I think we have to see whether you think Valtteri's got the head to cope with yeah, spotlight. Yeah, I think it's interesting. One thing I, I think you can be assured of with, with, with Valtteri is that his work ethic is fantastic. You know, he, he really does work at it. He will continue to work at it. Um, his time at Williams, you know, he was in the factory every time he needed to be in the factory. Um, and he, he really put that effort in. Um, but yes, he did have his off days. Uh, not many of them, but, but they were there. And I think the other thing we, we saw is that, yes, he is calm. You know, he is that sort of Nordic, quiet sort of worker. But we, we definitely saw in, um, in 2015 when Ferrari were approaching him, um, around the time of Austria, we, we, we definitely saw that it was affecting him mentally. You know, his concentration wasn't quite there. And uh, I think that if, uh, if he finds it difficult getting up against Lewis, you know, that may happen again. And uh, you need to be mentally incredibly strong, don't you, Martin? You, you... Yeah, I was going to say that exactly the same thing, but slightly differently in that Ferrari were approaching him, but he was approaching Kimi and he had two very clumsy incidents with Kimi and then he had that rather clumsy incident with Lewis and well, I think one, one of them was Kim, Kimi being yeah, rather clumsy, clumsy. <laughs> you know but on the basis that Frank Williams always says your job is not to hit another car even if it's not your fault drive the car in front and behind you and that, and that is the Nicky Lauder Alan Prost philosophy of life isn't it and bottom line is you don't get into trouble and they were clumsy messy looking incidents and I don't think Sochi was really his anything to do with him no I don't I think that's just 50 I don't know how best. you would have got out of that one either <laughs> other than turn left anyway yeah, to me that stop. was to me that was Valtteri responding to some criticism particularly in the Finnish press that he wasn't aggressive enough and he wasn't doing enough overtaking and he is this calm driver that does this job and he and he didn't quite dance with the music and then he backed away a little bit from that aggression last year and lost a bit of pace as a result and if you put that and that's normal that's kind of normal racing driver stuff except that he's got Lewis Hamilton in the other car and his track craft and his ability to read other drivers and his ability to overtake at exactly the right moment is just sublime and that is something that is very very difficult to emulate if your teammate's doing it. Would it put to, today, correct today, would anybody have put Valtteri in their top five on the grid in any season he's been on the grid? Uh, 2014. Might have crept in, might indeed. Might have done. I might have yeah, been 14. And, and 2014, yeah. you know, there yeah. was some good overtaking there yeah. as well. I, I'm a fan yeah, of this. I, I think he'll step up to the plate. Yeah. But, um, think of Silverstone Silver 2014. You know, you can't criticise his overtaking then. Uh, came through the field. Very, very impressive. I love his dad, Rana. Canadian Grand Prix last year, we were down at the first corner on the outside, waiting with the crowd, the grandstand, the whole thing. And he turned around and said, I've got to get a glass of wine. Where can I get a glass of wine? <laughs> so he rushed off, got in the glass of red, and he watched the race with the red. It was, it was brilliant. He's got a lot going for him, Valtteri. He's a lovely guy. But he's also got that heritage, is not he? He's got Mika, he's got Kimi, he's got Keki. You know, that whole Finnish thing. There'll be a lot of pressure from Finland now. I think it, I'd, I'd rather be trying to mentally destabilise Nico than Valtteri. I think with Valtteri just bounce off, to be honest. I, I think you're Probably, right. Probably, but it yeah. will be pressure. Yeah. Talking about pressure, one driver who we saw under a lot of pressure last year was Sebastian Vettel. And I think Mexico immediately comes to mind when he started ranting. Um, it looked like he was over driving the car towards the end of the year and Kimi was 
ahead of him in qualifying. How do we think that's going to play out this year, Sebastian Vettel at Ferrari? Because the pressure's building there, isn't it? I think a lot's going to depend on how good the car is. I'm afraid that with a, a big shake-up of the rules and the structure that is at Ferrari at the moment that I know of, you know, and I obviously don't know all the ins and outs of it, I, I think that uh, they may go down the field a little bit, uh, in which case uh, Sebastian's going to find it that much harder to cope with. Um, and we should, we could well see a few more of those rants, which are highly entertaining. But, um, <laughs> I, I agree. I think when they put the car on the track for the test, if it's not on the pace and he heads off, I think there's two things that razzes him. Um, the second year being less strong than the first year for Ferrari, and any time he's following a Red Bull, the car he stepped out of seems to alienate, <laughs> alienate him even more. And I think if the Red Bulls turn up and are rocking it, and he is struggling back in fifth and sixth again, and he sees politics and he sees aggravation, I, is he is he try, he's trying to get in a Mercedes? Is he presumably for 2018? Along with, Ferdi, so. along with yeah. Ferdi and everybody else. Yeah. I mean, the difficult thing all along is signing a four times world champion. It's not the same as signing Michael when he was still hungry as a dog after his initial success at Benetton. And he went to Ferrari and all he wanted to do was work 24-7 with Ross and the boys. And, and we know what happened. And, and, and when you're a four times champion, you've done it the way Sebastian did. It's a completely different thing for the team, for Ferrari. And I think they were possibly expecting Sebastian to come and to work magic Probably not in, in, in discussion over dinner, but psychologically. And, and of course, there's no magic at all. It's all Don't logic. Don't his, his last year at Red Bull. Well, it was, it? but, you know, Sebastian was pretty good at writing that off as not being very important, wasn't he? And he didn't get a lot of flack for that, given the success he'd had. But it was a very significant thing, as you say. And I don't know, I'm a huge Sebastian fan. I was pleased to see him win the Cup for Germany in the Race of Champions. I think that actually does quite a lot for a driver when it's a, it's a little bit skillful driver thing and he's out there and he's still he's still very, very polished, I think, very good. But the interesting thing is how much Kimi improved his qualifying performance last year. In some ways, he should get the Improvement of the Year award from 2016 for what he just did in qualifying. He could never get the front tyres to last, so hopefully yeah, he, could, I, he will yeah. on race day now. I, I think that was more about getting a car that suited him. I don't think his yeah. driving... But was Sebastian changed. in top form in qualifying? You know, what, what, you, uh, what well, are you comparing him against there? Maybe but he was, and, and he wasn't. <clears throat> he's never that quick over the lap. I don't know. The yeah. first spark I've seen in Sebastian for a long time was in Abu Dhabi. Now, I know he was catching a pack that was held up behind a um, slowing Lewis, but I, I still thought I saw, I, I really thought I saw a little bit of the old magic there. But um, other than that, it was a. And I don't get the moaning, groaning thing. I think it, it, when you lose your emotion inside the car, you've, you might as well come in the pits. You've, yeah, you've, you've I, I, I agree. You're going to make mistakes. No, you're going to do... I, agree. I disagree here. I think that sort of thing. I mean, I, but I disagree for a different reason. I think the more we have of that, the better. And I think that's what should be out in the public. And the more helmet throwing and bad moments we have, uh, the better television things, and the better... Things, things. Well, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I yeah. think we want a, a show. But Martin's absolutely right that the minute... You lose the calm, the, the analytical side of driving a racing car. You are not going to go as quick. Uh, well, if, as soon as you do that, you start going sideways and backwards. You don't go forwards. As soon as you get angry inside the car and you start prodding the throttle and breaking I too I thought he day. drove very well in the closing. You're talking about Mexico, end of, end of the Mexican Grand Prix. 
It was Abu Dhabi where I thought he really stood out. No, but what you're saying, it let him get to him. Though. Yeah, well, oh yeah, he was on the radio. Get him out of my way. It's, it's, a, it's an yeah, arrogance that, that is... Uh, and I don't think he's an arrogant man, but there's an arrogance that comes out on the track that does not make his car go forwards. It just makes his car... It's just a negative. You've got to well, leave I think if it had radio for the last 40 years in Formula 1, you had a lot of racing drivers saying the same thing over the years. I don't think it's in any, any way unusual. Sebastian is quite an emotional guy. And I don't know, I'm a fan. And I, I'm not going to criticise him. I think no, he's very don't good. Don't get me wrong, I'm a fan uh, too. I, I, think he, I think he's a great yeah, driver. Yeah. But, but, you know, over the years, I think working with the good drivers, the, the most common mistake I see is overdriving. Uh, now, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the youngsters who are coming in who are still learning. Yes, there are mistakes here, there and everywhere. But, but when you get a guy who's a real quality driver, the most common mistake is when they, they just overdrive because they, they, everything is getting a bit desperate. Let's look at McLaren now. Uh, Honda are going to change the architecture of their engine. Um, what's fascinating about McLaren, though, is it's post-ROM. Um, so how do we expect? I was there. I was there at the MTC last week, and they thought that they'd be pretty disappointed if they weren't around about fourth this year. Um, given the resources and the budget they have, how do you think McLaren are, are going to get on and Fernando? Well, the, it's a it's an interesting battle, isn't it? Force India versus McLaren Honda. Whoever thought we'd be saying that a couple of years ago? But if they can beat Force India Mercedes, they will have had a very very good year, and I think they're quite capable of having that good year. Honda, like Renault, are getting better all the time. As you say, now, new architecture, they'll be able to rectify a few things that weren't right. Hopefully, the engine will sound a lot better than it ever has. Stoffel van Dorn is part of the future of Formula One, isn't he? Potentially, you could see Stoffel and Max Verstappen being the new Senna Prost era of Formula One. He's incredibly good. It'll be interesting to see how Fernando reacts to Stoffel, bearing in mind the Lewis Hamilton-Fernando situation. Yeah. Uh, but Fernando's mellowed a little bit, I guess. He's still very quick. But back end of last year, he was really, really good. And so McLaren have a great driver lineup too, no question about that. Still a bit of a mishmash in terms of the way, uh, yeah, who am I to say? But it looks as if the way the car is run is in a fair, fairly um, odd sort of way without a clear delineation of engineering. But They've got enough resources, enough facility, enough money. They've got Zach. They've got a whole lot of things going now that, in theory, mean that they should be able to do a good job there with the car and with the engine. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a good race between them and Force India. Very good race, actually. I think they're still a little concerned at Honda, what Honda are going to give them. And how will the aero be? There's obviously going to be a transition there. I think they'll be doing a lot of restructuring, reorganising, so the momentum... Uh, I think you've got to give them a little bit longer yet, but they're certainly on their way back. Um, will they start to challenge Williams and start knocking on the door of regular podiums? I think we have to wait and see what, what car... Who's done, who's done this car? Is it a Tim Goss <laughs> car? Peter Pedromo's there. Yes, in, yeah. in the aero-wise, yeah. yeah. So I, would, I agree with Peter. If they, if they beat Force India, I think it would be a reasonable step forward if they start commanding regular podiums and threatening to win a race they're convinced they had the pace if they had a full power the normal power of everybody else they would have won spa they've got some data that but you know if only it's four years four months since they last won since jensen triumphed in brazil 2012 so it's quite a long long time i love the way you guys remember things like that (laughs) 
I've got it written down. <laughs> and I don't yeah, think their budget's that great anymore, is it? No, I was going to say, you know, what is their budget? You know, they've got enormous overheads. You know, MTC. Um, however much they can get out of Honda, I would have yeah, thought, isn't it? <laughs> but, but that's probably about yeah. it. You know, yeah. it's not, okay, you've got a new fuel supplier and, and things in. But Which is a negative as well, isn't it? They've got to get all that up. They've got to get that, that sorted, exactly. Now, I think that... Um, you know, having been able to, to study the data at, at, in some depth last year, uh, I think it's true to say their chassis was pretty damn good by the end of the year. There's, there's no doubt about it. It was very competitive, and, uh, and I could see exactly what they were losing on the straights. Um, so I think that if Honda do make that step forward, I think they, they can be pretty competitive. But, you know, that's... We're talking about if we're developing from last year, but we're not. You know, we've got a new set of rules, so that's far more important how everything has reacted to that. But Pedromo's got a great track record, hasn't he? So uh, why I, should he I not? I think there's a new energy there. Well, well, he has as an, aerod as an aerodynamicist who worked with Adrian, who's done a good job since he's been at McLaren. But has he got a great track record as a complete car designer, his signature on that drawing? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. If that's the case, if I'm it is not, his car. Yeah, I'm not sure that is completely his well role, we though, kind of agreed that it, yeah. he w it was his car this time around but you know there's matt morris there's tim goss there's all sorts of people there talking technical directors um paddy Lowe, have you been in touch with paddy recently and what can we expect this season well i'm pretty sure he's going to go back to williams and they're just ironing out a few of the details of that and that'll be that'll be a return for paddy to the team that he loved and still does love so it can only be with respect to pat it can only be a good thing for paddy and the team probably um i think paddy's one of these people who's i he seems to be very good with people he seems to be very good at identifying the right person for the right job and getting the best from them um i personally find him to be very low ego very keen just to be a part of the racing package and he's and, and he's an engineer who's interested in much more like Pat, than just engineering the car he's interested in the drivers the mechanics the truckies the catering the sponsorship the livery he loves the whole thing and 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 that's that's a great thing and that's a great thing for williams i think and uh, wish him all the best but equally um you know it's obviously going to be a tough ask pat i think it's a few others have left as well some of all, I think. I think a few other people yeah. have, have yeah. left, but you know, that's normal. There's always yeah. turnover in in the, the winter. Jason, but I, I think you know, it, when I left Williams, I, I always felt that the, the great thing would be if there was a safe pair of hands to take over, and I think in in Paddy there is just that. So I hope the deals are concluded. Well, why do you think he left Mercedes? I don't think he did leave Mercedes. I think Mercedes left him. He had a contract that expired at the end of twenty. 16 and he was keen to continue and to discuss the renewal of the contract and the discussions never happened and he eventually got the message that once in signed James Allison that um, probably his time was up there and mm. the question is why if you've got a good thing in racing you know broke don't fix it you just mm. keep it going forever as long as you possibly can and Toto arguably did a very good job of through Alex Wirtz, probably at McLaren, identifying Paddy as a guy that would be good at Williams. First time around, that deal didn't happen. Toto then went to Mercedes and took Paddy to Mercedes, and he went as an executive director. And I'm only guessing here now, but I would guess that there weren't room for two people at the top taking the glory. 
but yeah, be a bit of that. If I you imagine. see, if you see what I mean, uh, I think you'll probably see Toto on the pit wall this year. Just Nicky to go, then is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> I discovered the other day that apparently Toto, when um, when there was a bit of movement going on at Ferrari, Toto did a crash course in Italian too to see if he could get in at Ferrari. He's a very so ambitious, he's ambitious well guy. Himself, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how Toto interfaces with Liberty and everything that's going on in the new Formula One, and which Ross might Braun. well be the segue and Ross Braun. Ross yeah, Braun. absolutely. Yeah. Braun, yeah. Ross and that. Toto, the new the new duo. Pat, um, could, can I ask you a little bit about Williams? I know you left at the end of last year, but um, Felipe Massa, we all thought he was leaving the sport. There was that extraordinary, those extraordinary scenes in the pit lane in Brazil, but he's on his way back. He is, yeah. And uh, that's why you should never say never, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I think it was very, we, we talked about continuity earlier. And um, when I was at Williams, I was very adamant that, uh, particularly going into a completely new set of technical regulations, it was so important to try and stabilise everything else. And uh, in an ideal world, you know, I would have kept both drivers, but uh, I think budgets at the time were probably not there to, to sustain that. But I, I, I was very clear that I thought Valtteri, Williams needed to keep Valtteri. Now, that hasn't happened, and I, uh, I think that um, Claire and Mike O'Driscoll felt that they did need to keep some form of continuity, and the only thing really open to them was to, to bring um, Felipe back. And I think you've got to remember that Felipe didn't particularly want to retire. No. Uh, I think it was that the, the team, uh, in the circumstances that prevailed at the time, and I'm talking now, you know, mid-2016, they probably couldn't afford to employ him. But they, they never, uh, I'm afraid it sends out a very, very bad signal from Williams to let Valtteri Bottas go. They should have kept him at all costs, I think. It, it's, you know, what, what, what will, you, will you sell everything? Is everything for sale? Um, I just feel, you know, in my mind's eye, a, a Williams lineup is Mansell and Piquet or Prost and Hill or, you know, and that, that level of, that's the, that's how it feels right to me. So I don't, I don't think um, Felipe backed off at any point. I didn't see him fading in last year, counting no, down the days all. or the not laps at all. Um, but uh, I, I saw a comment about how we were slightly uncomfortable asking him to come back, which I thought was a strange thing to say. But, um, and, and knowing Felipe very well, as I do, he'd, he'd certainly checked out and made his mind up to, to do some, some other things. But... It's, it's, it's nice to see him back. I don't, I don't have a problem with that, really. But it, it just doesn't, you know, Felipe Massa, Lance Stroll, I, I, I don't think that's where Williams should be moving forward. I, I don't know how much money they got out of it or whether they needed that money. They've got money coming in from Stroll. Give Stroll a chance, like everybody else. I don't care what money's behind him. The stopwatch and the points table will not lie. Like every other kid who comes in, let's see what he's got before we judge him. So I'm, I'm calm with all of that, but it just, it doesn't feel like Williams have ambition and drive and desire. It, it, it feels like, you know, I don't know, back in the Frank and Ron and Ken and all those days, it's like, right, we need three million and we can go X percent yeah. faster. Right, you do that, I'll find the three million from somewhere, beg, borrow, steal it, whatever. Right? I think it just feels like it's been run like a And put like that in the PLC context of, of VJ Malia, who from the outside you would think would be the ultimate renter driver man saying right 
we're not going to employ a driver who brings money. I want a driver, the best young driver you can get, talent-wise, go into that room, come out and tell me who, who I've got to sign. And they came out with Esteban Ocon. And, and, and in that context, the, the mass of stroll driver lineup doesn't look strong alongside Force India's even. And the other point talking about retirement is that you're right. I think Bottas should definitely still be at Williams. And Jensen Button should be at Mercedes alongside Lewis Hamilton. And Jensen, like Felipe, had announced his retirement. Again, he probably didn't really want to retire, but the circumstances around him, the McLaren Honda, when was it going to win again? Stoffel van Dorn, Fernando was never going to go away. It was the right time maybe to do it. But had he had a proper Mercedes offer on his plate, I think he might have taken it, mm. but it never happened. And it would have been good for, for Formula One because Jensen alongside Lewis, he knows him. Lewis knows him. He's, he's still quick. He still drove re- very well last year, I thought. He lost his... He was counting down the hours, yeah, though, wasn't by the time he? He, he lost made, his mojo, yeah, but, but then in a... He was fed up with a car, wasn't he? He was fed up with... Yeah, but, but if, if Nico had announced in July that he was definitely retiring and Mercedes had signed Jensen in August, I don't think his mojo would have gone down. I think you would have seen the same mm-hmm. Jensen we saw I, at the start of the year. And I agree. It's a shame for us that we're not seeing Jensen, I think, in a Mercedes and, and Botas in a Williams. This would be a stronger package all round for the sport. Pat, former team of yours at Enstone, um, uh, well, how do you think Renault will get on this year? Julian Palmer's staying another year. Nick Hulkenberg's coming in. I hear that they've got quite a lot of works that they're doing at the factory to increase their um, Yeah, absolutely. Facility. And they're employing a lot of people, I think, as well. Um, Hulkenberg, I think, is a really good driver. Uh, I, I think he is definitely going to be... Uh, someone who's going to capture the public imagination because I think within the sport people people know how good he is but I don't think uh, you know, the fans have yet recognised just how, how good he is. Again, a bit like we're talking about Red Bull um, power unit's going to be so important you know, where's that going to get to how's that going to be um, but it is a team that's still building um, and I don't really expect that they can work miracles uh, in such a short space of time, you know, that was an incredible turnaround that they had to do in in 2016. Uh, I think 2017 will still be a building year. Um, I hope that they're improving. Still, a lot of people there that I worked with in the past, and that you know, I, I have utmost respect for. Um, so I hope to see them improving, but I don't really see them challenging at the front. Hulkenberg's one of the strongest drivers on the grid, but he, he's underperformed his potential quite dramatically, in my view. And if you look at a few incidents, I think you can see why. And he even asked me why one day. Um, but I, so I think he needs managing. I think he's a great talent. I don't know if, the, if there's management there at Renault anymore uh, with Vasser gone. Who, who is going to help direct Nico to... I think finally deliver what he's capable what he's capable of, which is significantly greater than having his pants taken down by Perez again last year. You know, I think there's there's a lot of latent potential there with Nico, and uh, whether that's going to be rec- uh, realised in that team in 2017, I don't know. I don't think so. Why has Do we know what happened there? I've no idea. But because because my thinking was a bit like yours he he knew nico from the art gp2 days and was a great believer in him and that would mm. be a very good thing for nico to be working mm. directly with with frederick and yeah it's got to be bad news for nico that he's left in terms of what you were just saying just a management style yeah thing, exactly isn't it? i think somebody say now's the yeah. time to push now the times to so well, you know it's a bit of a shame that but we'll have yeah. to wait and see i guess how, how it pans out Jolien's a sloper, and I've watched him since he was in karting and T-cars and Palmerado and all that. 
he's a, and GP2 same. He's a slow bird. I think is he's got a second year. I think he'll keep improving. Um, he'll, he'll have his work cut out to keep Hulkenberg in in he range. Will. He will. We're on the Fulham Road here in the Michelin um, building and the Babendum restaurant and just a couple of blocks away Carla Science has got a flat here in, in, in Fulham for me he's, he's, he's an excellent talent this has got to be his last year at Toro Rosso because I don't think many Toro Rosso drivers do that many years can't naturally see him moving into Red Bull but you would, you would feel that he would have a, another good year against Danny Kvyat who's had a bit of a reprieve as well hopefully he'll come back stronger as well I'd like to see Carlos Sainz in the Williams this year, actually. He would have been one guy that could have brought that team to life. He's got a lot of personality, a lot of character, very good in the wet, throws a car around, good on cold tyres, that sort of racing driver, makes a few mistakes. But he actually eliminated, eliminated that penchant from the stakes last year quite well, and he developed a lot as a driver, I think, a driver that could bring a car home in different sorts of condition. And, yeah, he's good. He may be guilty of a, the sort of driver that will plateau. Maybe he's plateaued already as to how quick he can really be. I think Daniel Kvyat potentially is quicker over one lap. He's definitely a more linear driver to my eye. He keeps the car flatter. And, uh, but he, again, you know, it was a difficult year for him. He's under a lot of pressure. But two good drivers. I mean, Williams would love to have those two drivers, I would have thought. Um, uh, I think that, Carlos is a huge talent. Yeah. So I think... Oh, there were several races last year, American Grand Prix, for example. You know, great, great drive from him. Uh, thoroughly nice individual as well. Uh, as is uh, his dad. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, William, the, like his dad. The, the two of them came actually to talk to us at Williams really? uh, some while ago. And uh, I, I was just so impressed. I mean, Senior has always been a bit of a hero of mine anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but Junior is just such a, a great guy as well. And I think mm. he showed this year that he's a very, very good driver. I think you're right. Um, it's probably his last year in, in Toro Rosso. But I, I really hope that someone recognises that latent talent and does pick him up for, for the following year. I, hope, I think he was the shoe-in for Rosberg's seat for me he was the he would yeah. be top yeah, of my absolutely. list to put in that car and I was in communication with his dad offering to help in any way I could because I'm a huge fan of the kids I think he's yeah. spectacular and the problem is you know would Mercedes want to be seen to having to resort to Red Bull's junior program so what about their own junior program and 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 a much bigger issue than that Red Bull wouldn't let him go yeah. so um you know they've got a, they've got a precocious talent there. They're going to have to do something with, and it's going to be interesting to see, see what they do with him. But um, for me, Carlos is the real deal. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And there was a suggestion um, I saw yesterday that Bernie should buy Manor and become a team owner again. Um, what are your thoughts about the news, of Mr. Ecclestone and Liberty, and where the sport is now? Pat, well, do you want to start? I, I think that, um, yeah, we've got to recognise what Bernie's done for the sport. Uh, I certainly would not be sitting here now if it wasn't for Bernie. You know, I, I, I got involved in motorsport about the time, actually, that I certainly got into Formula One, about the time that Bernie really started to, to take over. Although of course, he'd been in it a lot longer. And uh, at the time, even when I got into Formula One, I didn't think that it was something that would be my career. I, you know, the teams were very small. I started with Tolman, 20 of us at that time. Uh, and yes, I, I, I couldn't have ever imagined all the way up to, to 2017 
just what Formula One would be like. And the, the reason it is where it is is because of Bernie. And the reason I've been able to have such a great career in Formula One is down to Bernie. But it is time for change. Um, I think that if I was looking at how should we improve Formula One, I would say that we've got to really establish the sort of trichotomy that we, we, we're always arguing about. Is it a sport? Is it entertainment? Is it a business? And I firmly believe that if you put entertainment at the top of that list, then sport will follow and hence you'll have a good business. So I think you know, you've got to be clear on what you want. If that is a fact, then who better to run it than a media company? And the fact that that media company have come from the outside, I think is a good thing because you know, a lot of you, you won't be suffering from preconceived ideas. I think the fact that they're American is a good thing, both in terms of expanding the sport and the American sort of ethos of entertainment, I think is a, is a good thing. So I, th I think it's a, all in all, it's a great thing for the sport. Now, what's so necessary now is to have a strategy because that's where, where Formula One has been suffering so much. The strategy group is probably the most misnamed thing we've ever had in, in Formula One. Um, it's tend to be very reactive. And I, I think the fact that there are bilateral agreements between FOM and the teams is actually rather a good thing because I think it gives Liberty time to make some changes, of course. You know, they, they, they can make changes under the sort of normal sporting rules and things like that. But I think because those bilateral agreements are in place and they survive through to 2020, I think it actually means that there's time to write a strategy, to think of where we're going and to, to see what life is like beyond those bilaterals. And uh, I, I think the timing is perfect. I think the owners are perfect. Uh, I think Ross, getting Ross in there is, uh, can you think of anyone who would do a better job than that? I think, you know, I'm really excited about the future now. Uh, I completely agree with Pat. We're all very lucky to be involved in Formula One. And, and it's because Bernie's put it together and driven it forward and, and put a disparate bunch of teams and circuits and a bit of telly together and turned it into the amazing thing uh, that, that it is on an annual basis. Um, I think it was time for change a few years ago. I wish Bernie would have moved. And I had this conversation with him privately on camera twice move upstairs, bring in a pyramid of people. And because I just talked to my, I had a meeting this morning at Sky and I walk around the paddock and I look, I look at it and I think this is unsustainable and heading in the wrong direction. And the way, the rate of change of the world of media, as you guys know well, uh, with your magazines and what have you, and websites, the rate of change is incredible and it's the same in sport because sport's got to change with the media and I think uh, we, we, need, we needed that change be careful what you wish for because you might just get it because Bernie did bring a sense of control it was my way or the highway and at least you knew where you were going I think Bernie's control started to fade immediately after Max left and then he's obviously getting a bit older when you took when you had the regulatory and commercial rights together and you could frighten the teams or fine them a hundred million if they didn't do as they were told or whatever then you really had an iron fist and I think that's been fading away the teams have become stronger and we talked about that earlier on that I don't think is a good thing at all 
Um, and so I'm hoping they'll come in and make a, a clear route forward. We've gone the wrong way with the hybrid engines. We cannot follow the motor industry. They're going electric and then they're going hydrogen. We've got to go back to a racing engine and lose 100 kilos of fat off the cars, which would be a much better thing to do for 2017 than anything else. We, if the manufacturers go, they go because other people come in. So therefore, it's got to be sustainable. We leave every time we leave town, we leave a financial vacuum behind. So there's no marketing, no investment, no, nothing is improved for the following year. And, it, and with the five percent, ten percent escalators compounded up, the business model doesn't work. So we we need we need a change, and it it can't come too soon. But I still think Bernie has got a role to play and you know once again all I can do I've had two careers in Formula 1 and I'm, I, I, I owe it all to him because he, he, he glued it together All of the above um, and more detail on the Bernie thing obviously his contribution has been massive for me the big problem for the sport was when Bernie decided to sell the rights that he legally owned and then Bernie effectively lost his grip on the sport and his control and, and as Martin said when Max had his problem and Todd came in then he had even less control so had Bernie never sold those rights had he, had he maintained complete ownership I think the sport would be very different today so I think that was one mistake mm, Bernie made it was the lure of the money obviously which is surprising because he had enough anyway and beyond that I think the money that Bernie managed to make on all that and the rights he'd created in reality was the heritage of the sport and that money, that two billion euros, in reality was Tatio Nivellari driving through the rain in the Targo Florio, it was Caracciola, it was Sterling Moss, it was Fangio, it was everything that this sport has grown over the years. And in most other sports, that heritage has gone back into the sport. But in Formula One, it didn't. And that's why we're constantly, as Martin said, we're constantly fighting these financial vacuums because there isn't the capital there that we should have. It was there, but it went into outer space. For Hollywood. And I think the other point is that, in my view, there's not a lot wrong with the racing or the cars. And I think all this constant band-aiding of making the cars slower, faster, wider, narrower, more easy to overtake, whatever, I think it's all nonsense. What we want is a very loud, raucous, reliable engine, which we had in the previous engine formula. Preferably two tire companies, because that does spice things up. We need to make it very, very easy for two tire companies to come in. But beyond everything else, we need to remember this is a television-driven sport now. Formula One is the world's biggest television sport still on an annual basis. Just, it's just clinging on to that title. And it still is that. But the teams should be regulated into realizing and remembering that they are part of a TV show that runs 24-7, 365 days of the year. And all this wonderful technology that we've been talking about, the CFD, the aerodynamics, whatever it is, should be part of an ongoing TV show and the doors should be open, wide open to the media and to the public. We're going to go off to a, a test soon. I know this is coming out after the test, but I can bet you now the test will be even more closed than it was last year. There'll be barriers mm. everywhere, there'll be this and that. It'll be completely I don't even ludicrous. bother going. When in nothing. reality, everybody should be there with their smartphones and their video cameras videoing this on the Ferrari, this on the McLaren. We should see filming of the debrief for the first time so Sebastian Vettel drives the Ferrari, what he actually says to the engineers. The teams, of course, will say, oh, but it's all our security, it's our information. Do you want a show or not? 
Do you want this to work globally? Do you want this to work on the world stage? Do you want to blow all the other sports into the weeds? Do you want more money? If so, let's open the doors. Let's make this a great television television show that's more than just a Grand Prix 22 times a year. And I hope Liberty realise that. And I hope they don't get pushed into thinking that they've got to make changes to the cars and the sporting regulations because actually what they need to change are the regulations governing the way the teams operate with the TV companies and the media and therefore the public. Which is about putting entertainment at the top of the exactly list. Exactly right. And letting everything right. cascade exactly down from right. that. Which is, it's all about television. The secrecy in Formula One is, is really ridiculous. And I think you guys know that I, I probably talk more about what teams I've worked with have been doing than, than most people do. Because yeah, the, the, bits, the bits that are kept secret are the bits that the other teams know. So why the hell aren't we telling the public about them? Because some of them are interested. Now, well, some all, the teams, all the teams are clever enough to, not to give away the information they really want to give away. There's enough but out there to the, make it a great the, TV the show. Real, to me, the real secrecy is the process and the, you know, the way you get to where you are. It's not the detail of what exactly. your front upright looks like or what your gearbox is made out of and things like this. That, Do we not think that for Japanese television, and probably for the rest of the world, everything that Honda's been going through for the last two years would have been great TV? to see the development, yeah. the ups and downs of the engines, what the drivers were saying about it, what went on when they, they got back to base in Japan. All that is brilliant television. And it's all been lost because yeah. of the well, great, great God's secrets. Such television. Yeah, but that's where Liberty come in. That's where Liberty come in because Liberty are a media company and, 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 and filming that sort of stuff is much cheaper than coming up with a new engine formula or a new aero rig that, rig that requires massive CFD and wind tunnel expenditure. I it's all, t- TV money is nothing compared with the Formula One money that you were just talking about. I mean, it's unsustainable, the sort of money that the teams are spending at the moment. It's ridiculous. I think one of the greatest examples of, uh, that really shows how wrong we'd gone in this direction was the radio transmission saga of the last mm-hmm. couple of years. You know, one of the things that's really quite unique in, in motorsport is that ability, that immersion you can give the fan by allowing him to hear the competitors talking. Now, you, know, you haven't got that in football, you haven't got no. that in rugby, you haven't got that in cricket. So what do we do? We take that unique thing we've we got and we take it away. You know, that, but that, even more so, me, the intercom radio is the one that should be on there with, with, with Charlie telling the teams what to do. That's brilliant television. Yeah. If we had a channel that was nothing but the Charlie Whiting intercom channel, it would have enormous views. And another little point, just talking about television, some of it can be done at no cost at all. In China, the only driver that really works in China is Kimi Raikkonen. They love Kimi. So why don't they just do an onboard Kimi Raikkonen channel at every race? Well, there wouldn't it wouldn't be would, much said, would they? Sorry? There wouldn't be much said. Well, um, they don't right, care. They know, love that about it. It doesn't know, have to be any translation, you know, you but it should be an option you there. You know why, Peter? Because all of the advertising on the side of the track is sold for X number of minutes and seconds. Yeah, but we're now talking about the new era with Liberty. You, you can't see. then start allowing... Yeah, but Liberty have come in on a set of financials. And yeah, but sold this it in, is why we need the strategy that goes yeah, beyond. They've come in with some financials, but sold it into the city. They're not going to come in and be a charitable... Go- every circuit... And every television channel and every team all think they're going to get a better deal. And these guys have got to make some numbers out of it. So I don't, I don't quite know how. But they've already the said, they've already said, with respect, 
we're going to change the way we do the digital coverage of Formula One. That's good. But, I don't, I don't, so, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. How they're going to finance it is another matter. it sends me mad. I love onboard and onboard QualiLap. And, and I'm getting all excited behind the microphone. And we always cut to an offboard yeah. when they get to a corner to get all the advertising yeah. in. And then go onboard again. And it's just, yeah. it's nonsense. We've got to stop well, that's that. What's, sort of that's all part of the TV show. And that yeah, needs to is. change. The, Ross has, a, has an a expression he uses quite often of low-hanging fruit. And I think there's plenty of that for him to get his teeth into when he starts. You, you mentioned Sky. You went to a meeting earlier. What can we expect this season with Sky? Uh, ultra high definition. So obviously I'm going to have a facelift. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, we'll be right on top of the the the, you know, the season's going to be evolving and. Skypad is brilliant for that sort of thing, and we will get in there. Sky Sports News, Sky News, Sky F1, Sky Website, Sky Everything. 14 hours live a weekend, every race live. So uh, we'll be at the tests, we'll be midweek shows, we will cover it. Really, I hope there's more than 20 cars on the grid. I hope there's 22 cars. There should be. I mean, if every franchise should be full, should be 24, 26 cars, no brainer. Every team should make a profit at the end of the year. It's a ridiculous running a business that can't make a small profit. And everybody, you know, there's enough money, there's more than enough money comes into Formula One for everybody to run a proper car, fill the seats with the 26 fastest drivers in the world, not the richest, the fastest. There's more than enough money already coming into the sport and somehow we piss it away. (laughs) We don't make good racing, it's scandalous. Well, it's not rocket science to know that if we had a really good Korean driver on the grid and a really good Chinese driver and a really good young American, it would actually help Formula One in those markets. And yet Formula One does nothing to invest in that. It's kind of a shame, isn't it, that Gene Haas isn't running a young American in the other car alongside Grosjean. That was a good opportunity to do that. And it's not as if he has to take a rented driver because that's not... I don't think Kevin's bringing money, though. He's got Jack and Jones, maybe. He might have a bit of money in there, but they they don't really have sponsors on the Haas, do they? I don't know if they're going to change that this year. Exactly, it's a bit of a worry. But having said that, you would imagine having a young American would maybe help them get a corporate American sponsor. There are plenty of good young Americans out there, for sure. Yeah. And uh, it's a shame that we don't have one, I think, now in Formula 1. Well, if we had 26 cars on the grid, then I'm sure we could find enough garage space here and there for them. Yeah. <laughs> out of out of those twenty six, Pat Simmons, who do you think will be world champion? Daniel Ricciardo, Martin Brundle, uh, Lewis Hamilton, Peter Windsor. Well, I was going to say Daniel Ricciardo, that the other two were going to say Lewis Hamilton, but Pat's kind of taken my my win there. But I would say let's go for Daniel as well. Very good, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances, complete with all you need to keep food fresh, dishes clean, and everything else stress-free. Making this the sound of savings on top brand appliances. The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Get up to 25% off select GE appliances right now. Offer valid January 5th through January 25th, 2023. U.S. only. See store or online for details. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.